and welcome back to a new episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? I'm doing all right. Uh, been been a hectic week, but uh, I'm really excited to get back and talk some Daredevil with you. Me too. How about Me you? Me too. Uh, it's a good week. Um, summer school starts on Monday, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, I don't know if I'm a hundred percent ready for it, but. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm somewhat ready. Uh, well, hopefully you've gotten a little bit of a reprieve between regular school and summer school. A little, a, a little, That's not good. much, but a little bit. Mm-hmm. N- not as much as um previous school years, mm-hmm. uh, because of the the Corona, COVID stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's... Well, I mean, in previous school years, we're on campus, and I can just. The students are there. I can hound them for any missing work. <laughs> but now, missing work to trying to get grades finished, you know, the emails, phone calls, and all of that, trying to track them down, just becomes a pain. Mm. Uh, so in that way, it was different and took a little bit longer. Um, but again, in fairness to the students, because of all this, those who I was having to do that with also had extraordinary circumstances that I was having to work with them as well, and I don't mind doing that. Yeah, it's... Understatement of the year. Yeah. It's been an unusual it, year. It, it's yeah. it's twenty twenty. We went into the darkest timeline. <laughs> Man, and it's it's only halfway done. I know. I know. <laughs> oh man, I thought I know we're kind of off sync when these episodes actually get released, but it, right now it's June, and oh man, twenty twenty is definitely one for the the books. Yep. But anyway, uh, we are here to talk about Daredevil. If you don't know what's going on, this podcast originally had plans to kick off alongside Black Widow, but as that got pushed back, we have decided to do a rewatch of Daredevil, and currently we are on Season 1, Episode 9, titled Speak of the Devil. Now, this episode has a really action-oriented cold open where it is midway through a brutal battle between Daredevil and an assailant dressed in red. Uh, After exchanging a couple blows, the assailant pulls out a bladed chain-like weapon and then continues to dominate the fight. All right, so I have in all caps and underlined, damn. (laughs) Um, I mean, we've, we've talked about how athletic and athletically gifted Matt is Mm -hmm. and just how good he is. And first thing we see is just him getting brutally beat mm-hmm. and that blade on the end with the little, with the little hook. I wish I knew how to pronounce what it was. Um, but yeah, I mean, and clearly Daryl Devil's that matched. Oh, most definitely. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, we've seen Matt take substantial wounds before and we've even seen him, I believe in episode two, when they discover him in the dumpster, he was stabbed, but I don't think we've actually seen him like this damage before mid fight it, it 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 like you said it brutal he definitely took a beating yeah well they did though reinforce right murdoch's get up because he kept going oh yeah he definitely lived up to that murdoch mantra mm-hmm. you know i one of the things that i want to call to uh we because i don't think we can continue to discuss it now but i want to pinpoint it here so we can discuss it later uh in this fight um we see that Daredevil uses a move that gets used again later in a much dramatic fashion. Um, and I want my, my question for later is, is whether or not we're supposed to um, like, you know how they slowly educated us on Daredevil's powers in p- episodes previously. Yes. 
I was wondering if that's something that happens here where he throws the sticks that he got from Stick and the way that uh, the assailant deflects it, it mirrors something we see later on. So I wanted to make sure that we at least called that out so we could discuss it later. Cool. So we'll we'll put that in the back of our mind and bring it back. So after that fight, we do get our title sequence, and when we get back, we return to outside the church where Matt speaks with Father Latham, and they discuss what's been on Matt's mind lately. Um, I feel like in this episode, the bulk—no, I don't want to say the bulk—the the very the meat or the substance is really is these interactions between Matt and Father Latham. Yes, because they really and go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say that, you know, we the first, the last time we, we had Father Latham in the episodes, we brought up whether or not he knew, like, you, you were firmly in the belief, in the camp that he knew who Matt was. And I like, in this episode, they waste no time revealing that Father Latham knows who Matt is. Oh, yeah. And even goes so far as to say it wasn't hard to figure out. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and in that, well, I mean, in that sense, it was about um, who he was related to. Mm-hmm. Right. In terms of his dad and, and the last name, um, you know, and I think in later scene, it was if if you weren't sure still here that Latham knew later scenes, mm-hmm. it just outright confirms it. Yeah. We talked a little bit about this in one of the uh, question of the weeks, but in overall, secret identities have been such a big concern for superheroes. But um, with the MCU, it's never been a huge concern. So I like that we do kind of get this nice nod to it here where obviously it's something Matt's been protecting, but Father Latham is quick to dissect that. And because, I mean, it it feels like with all the modern technology we have now, Mm -hmm. it's a lot harder for these superheroes to kind of keep a lid on who they are. Oh, yeah. Um, So I like that it's out. Well, and you're starting to see shows address that. Like I I used to watch the uh, CW DC shows, Mm -hmm. and that was something um, I know Arrow in that show they had to address, this technology and how do you keep yourself secret? You can't do this alone by yourself. Uh, you see it in Homecoming, Man in the Chair. They have it in that show. I want to say even in Nolan's, um, Alfred gets involved a little bit more than we see in some others. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with he, not just Alfred Lucius Fox. So mm-hmm. uh, it is interesting to see how technology is changing uh, the storytelling. Of of these yeah. kind of characters. Mm-hmm. Okay, in the scene, this is where you know Matt asked, "Do you believe in the devil?" Father Latham uh, gives the well, what Matt what Matt asks for the truth, right between the short and the long answer, and he says, "Yeah, I do believe he walks among us." I I feel like the show is setting themselves up for a potential problem hmm. with their characters here. How so? Matt's idea of Fisk is he's the devil, right? And so it's like Father Latham's story kind of confirms, yeah, devil walks among us, and in Matt's head, Matt's convinced it's Fisk. Mm-hmm. But from what we've seen of Fisk in the other episodes, and, and we keep going back to this vulnerability, right? In the episode we just came off of, to get his backstory with the domestic violence and stuff, he's not, he, he's not like this absolute evil mm-hmm. necessarily. You know, I keep bringing up Nolan's Batman. One of the things that's so scary about the Joker is they wanted him to be an absolute, mm-hmm. right? 
no origin story. He's just that way. Um, and that's what made him so scary. But Fisk isn't that. Because I don't remember exactly how they get to the end. But I hope Matt shows some growth in this area and understanding. Because mm-hmm. I do think it would add a level of complexity to Matt's struggle. Then Matt simply just saying, oh, he's the devil and has to be held with. Because mm-hmm. I don't think we've seen that from the fist side of, oh, you're just this pure evil. No, you're a troubled human being. And we've seen your backstory who throws temper tantrums. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's funny that you bring up the Dark Knight because I, I kind of picked up on it as well. Uh, where I wrote down, you know, this conversation with Father Latham reminds me so much of that scene in The Dark Knight where Bruce and Alfred have the conversation about men wanting to watch the world burn. And Mm -hmm. like you said, they did such a great job of making the Joker an absolute. Um, Like, it was a lot easier to kind of see that, you know, Joker just is chaos. Um, And and with here, you know, Father Latham kind of takes the time to say, like, oh, when I was younger and more cynical, I would... I would have said the devil was just a propaganda tool for people to galvanize around a certain issue. But I guess I kind of see what you're, you're saying here about this problem is that they're trying to demystify Fisk by saying that Mm -hmm. the devil takes more forms than just one person. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think that kind of gets brought up again in a later scene with Latham that like, I think Matt so desperately wants it to be this easy. Here's this one person, but it's a lot more nuanced than that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I just, I hope that they follow this complexity through or develop that. Because um, otherwise, they're they're going to leave a lot of depth on the table. Mm-hmm. For a short, easy, you're good, you're bad, and call it a day. After the conversation with Father Latham and Matt, we do get back to the Nelson and Murdoch office where Ben, Karen, and Foggy are discussing the aftermath of Fisk coming out ahead of the news. Uh, Ben details why their shot at Take Him Down has been pretty much shot down, uh, but offers some insight that was given to him by the man in the black mask. Yeah, my first note here was when Matt was answering one of uh, Karen's questions, Uh and the response was, hearsay, can't print any of it without cooperation, can you? And that answer was directed towards Ben. And what I found fascinating about this whole exchange and Matt's participation in it was I felt like he was participating more as Daredevil than as Murdoch. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, just he, the way he was kind of listening in and his answers, because he knew, you know, from the previous episode, what he gave to Ben, right. what he was trying to do. And as we mentioned, how angry he you know, was when it didn't work. I, in kind of playing that off a little bit, I, I wanted to ask the question, do you think Ben knows that Matt is the man in the black mask? Because the way you said that, it was almost like Matt was participating as Daredevil. Um, there there was just something about the interactions or the subtle nods that Ben had in, in Matt's direction that it felt like he knew. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I wrote the same thing down right here. I wrote uh, Ben and his response. Maybe he knows there's some roads you can't come back from. But in that line, he kind of, it, it looked like he turned his head slightly towards Matt mm-hmm. then looks back at Foggy. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I asked, does Ben know, or I, I asked, I wrote this down, does Ben know or at least have an idea that Matt is Daredevil? Um, I don't think Ben knows officially, mm-hmm. but it really felt that way. Yeah. And, it and, and really did. Especially playing off like what you said, I, I didn't kind of articulate in the, that in my notes, 
But now that you mentioned it, you know, for someone who is, is very passionate about defending the little people, Matt's just kind of on the sidelines for majority of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 And and even when the way it started, um, the handshake, like they focused in on the handshake where he went to shake his hand like as it was normal and it didn't quite meet. I, I don't know. Just the way they shot their interactions, it, it did give me that feeling like Ben knew something. Mm-hmm. Hey, he's been a very savvy person, so I, I'm assuming he has his hunches, but is not ready to call the card on that one yet. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, I had a question for you. Okay, they they asked about Hoffman. Mm-hmm. The, the response was Hoffman's gone; he's in the wind. And and I wrote what and you know in all in all caps, because um, well, <laughs> well, he pinned it on Daredevil. Doesn't this make Hoffman look suspicious to the cops? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if the cops, I mean, because it didn't make it sound like the cops put him in hiding. It made it sound like he did. He ran off on his own. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, if you pinned it on Daredevil successfully and everybody believes that you clearly didn't kill Blake. Yeah, it it, it just it was it was just weird. And I get you needed him mm-hmm. away, I guess, for story reasons. But it was just the the reasoning just wasn't there. You know, it's like you were in the clear at least legally speaking, because the Daredevil showed up. Well, hey, I mean, you you were pretty spot on with um, kind of calling attention to the fact that Blake was in a coma, and then we revisited a couple episodes later. So maybe maybe there's more to it that we're not remembering. Maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> you know, and I, I did like Matt's big smile when uh, Karen said, plus he just kicks ass. You know, I wrote this down. It really is funny to me how much Karen uses kicking ass as a metric for who's helping them. Because uh-huh. in that in that scene where Foggy gets brought into the group, uh, I think she says something like, he's a good lawyer and he just plain kicks ass. Right, right, <laughs> and then, yeah. And then she comes yeah. back with Daredevil doing the same. Yeah, yeah he's, I, think she, I think she said he's a kick-ass lawyer and he just plain kicks ass. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, we, all, we all have our phrases. <laughs> Oh man! Well, I, I mentioned at the beginning summer school last uh-huh. year during summer school. You know, we have our little phrases. There was one, and I'm not going to say it because I don't want to get caught in that rut again. Mm-hmm. Um, where I had a student sitting near a whiteboard and would mark every time I said it. <laughs> oh no! And just keep track, and then and it just kind of became a thing. Oh man! You know that's something like as we've been podcasting. That's something I've definitely been conscious of. Um, and I, I mean, I've even brought it up where I'd be like, okay, I guess this is going to be my word of the week. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine having somebody officially tallying it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, well, and it was, it's kind of cool because in the classroom, like I could mm-hmm. start playing with it. Like I, I would, sometimes I would just say it not thinking, but sometimes I was highly aware and I would bring myself to say it, mm-hmm. but then choose something else. So he would go to start to mark the board, but then I'd pull the rug out by saying something different. Oh, that's um, fun. You know, and so and so it was fun. Um, but yeah, I think I was up to like twenty, twenty five times in a forty five minute period. Like it was wow. it was insane. <laughs> you know, as we're bringing up funny parts to the scene, I do want to mention this. Um, you know, because they were they were having that conversation where it's Foggy, Karen, and Ben, and then Matt walks in and Foggy like starts to express the like, hey, you know, if we if we ask the right people the right questions, the right tone of voice, um, you know, maybe we'll get what we want. And Ben says something along the lines of like, yeah, that's how you get yourself hurt. 
right mm-hmm. as Matt was walking in. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, without knowing it, calling out what Matt's been doing so far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was a fun little touch. Yeah. And finally, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't throw this out there. Captain America reference. Uh, Foggy makes the line of like, well, I can't just put wings on my head and call myself Captain America. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. My my head my head went somewhere else. No, yes, you can't. Like, I was trying to think of something witty to say, and I didn't have it. Uh-huh. Because um, it was just like, well, I mean, they, you know, they're going to do that with Falcon, right? But <laughs> <laughs> look, I'm all for Sam Wilson to become... Captain America. I think it's mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. It, and I'm really hoping the costume, you know, or I'm looking forward to seeing the costume, especially if it's close to what they do in the comics. But there's always something that bothered me about that because mm-hmm. Steve Rogers has that super serum. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like that, that aspect of it is like, can you really replace that? Like Sam Wilson's not going to, you know, one arm curl a helicopter. Right. Trying to fly away. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do with it. And like you said, I'm incredibly excited to see Sam take up that mantle too. Uh, just like, again, Captain America fanboy here, I get super emotional over the MCU in general. Just seeing that scene alone where he was practicing with the shield in the woods for the trailer got mm-hmm. me emotional. So I, I'm excited to see what they do and how they account for the fact that Sam isn't a super soldier. Right. And I have faith. I'm, I'm really excited to see where they right. go with it. Me too. Me too. Mm-hmm. So in this next scene, we get Wesley and Fisk um, together, and they're reviewing polling information um, after Fisk recently coming out of the shadows. Nobu arrives unexpectedly and insists on a particular city block as they're looking at uh, blueprints. You know, one of the things I wanted to point out here immediately is, again, I always get this name wrong, but I'm going to shoot for the stars. Vincent D'Onofrio is Mm -hmm. doing some amazing work with his delivery here. Yeah. Um, and this scene and in some later scenes, there are some subtle like mouth twitches and cadence to his speech that feels a lot different to anything that we've seen with Fisk previously. Um, like the same nervous tics that he's had prior to having Vanessa in his life is here, but it's almost in a more confident way, if that makes sense. No, Did that, you pick up on that? That makes sense. Uh, mm-hmm. You know what? I'm going to say no, I didn't pick up on that. Um, but for me, what I've noticed is from the very first time I watched it, I remember talking with my wife and and we both felt that his performance was really awkward. Mm -hmm. We couldn't really figure out why to use that cadence and the way he was delivering lines. As I've watched it over time, because I've, you know, I've done rewatches before this podcast and going through this, I actually like that uh, performance Mm -hmm. and and all the different kind of quirks he has in delivering his lines. Um, But I, I didn't pick up on the added confidence after Vanessa. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's really interesting the way it manifests at different points in this episode alone. Um, and I I think I don't know if "subtle's" the right word, but I mean, it, they're they're doing good work with those ticks uh, to mm-hmm. show the growth that mm-hmm. he's been through from the last episode moving forward. Oh yeah, I I think you're right. I I just I don't know that didn't that didn't pop in my head as I was watching it. Mm-hmm. And kind of going along with this, you know, the way they're displaying the growth, I really like the line that we get towards the end where Fisk says, emotion can turn the most circumspect of men careless. Mm-hmm. One, one because we know the emotional turmoil that Matt is going through right now. Yes. But 
two, it shows a level of growth on Fisk's part. You know, we've been tracking this parallel between Matt and Fisk, and I think over the course of the last few episodes, we watch one character become broken and one character strengthen, and that same line represents where they're at with one stone, and I just thought that was great writing. Oh, yeah, because we've seen with Fisk, and we've called, a, like, when he took off Anatoly's head, you know, flipped the table, uh, we've called them temper tantrums. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's just what it feels like in that in, in, re- in reference or in context of that childhood and continually to bring that up. Mm-hmm. And so there's a level of awareness that I think he knows that's how people react and that's how, you know, he reacts and, and is able to use that to his advantage. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I found interesting about this scene is we find out Nobu can speak English. Mm-hmm. And, and I was wondering, there was a smirk on Wesley's face, right? And because Nobu said something, Wesley translated, and then that's when we find out because Nobu says, misspeak my words again, and that whatever will happen. That's when we get Wesley's smirk. Do you think Wesley baited him into that? Mm, that, I, I, I did not pick up on that in the moment, but now that you're bringing it up, I, that feels very much like a Wesley move. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, that I like that. You know, like he like he won that little moment because that's I mean we've we've called out every time he's done like these little jabs and has this smirk like he got the best of somebody. Mm-hmm. He's very proud of himself. Yeah, I like I I kind of want to rewatch that scene now to kind of view it through that lens. We're coming off the episode where Wesley had that revelation of Madame Gal with the English Fisk being able to speak multiple languages, um, and I think we both read it in the same in a similar way about Wesley was surprised or didn't know and it almost seems like that was a wesley thing i have this information now and i can bait him into something mm-hmm. so yeah i just i like that little moment that little win for wesley yeah also in the scene we get uh the seeds for something down the line uh nobu mentions that he has other people he has to answer to when they're haggling over a block and Fisk also reaches out, you know, and asks Nobu for help. Right. You know, it it's so funny how great of a negotiator Fisk is because Nobu comes into the scene incredibly angry that Fisk didn't quote unquote live up to his part of the deal by giving him a specific block. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. and even after Fisk was like, well, hey, I didn't I don't remember specifically saying anyone, yeah. um, you know, he not only appeases Nobu, but he gets Nobu to help him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, you can see Fisk is clearly a master manipulator. Mm-hmm. Very much so. So after the meeting with Fisk, Nobu, and Wesley, we do return back to the offices where Foggy, Karen, and Matt continue chasing down the lead of the Confed, Union Allied, and Fisk line. Um, eventually, Mrs. Cardinia arrives to inform the group that Fisk has doubled the offer that they're giving the residents of the tenement and that most of her neighbors are considering taking it. I had, I had conflicting feelings on this scene. Okay, how so? I felt like Matt didn't speak up like he should have or like he wanted to when when Foggy and Karen were convincing Miss Cardenas to fight and not mm-hmm. take the money. And I felt like they should have... I, I get story-wise that they needed to go this way, but I felt like they honestly should have told her to take the money. Oh, yeah. It, um. I never, I didn't realize that. Yeah, that Matt probably because he immediately after she leaves, he starts to push back on Foggy. He was like, "What are you doing, Foggy? You should have told her to take the money." Yeah. Um, to not give 
too, too much away. We'll, I'm sure we'll discuss this later. But we, I think we kind of see Matt throw this back at Foggy again. And you're completely right. I don't think unless he speaks up in this moment, he has no right to kind of revisit this idea at the end. Right. But because yeah. he, he, he sat there and listened. And he, yeah. and he let it go. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then the other thing I found interesting about that. Well, well, I mean, a, you know, I think Matt's line was maybe they, sh- maybe they should talking about the, the tenants mm-hmm. um, in terms of taking the money. I just felt like the way I understand how lawyers should work, right. That you're trying to help your client with legal advice and what's best for them. Mm-hmm. And I felt like they were just using Miss Cardenas and the others as a pawn to get Fisk. Yeah. You know, to, yeah. to, to be able to keep this going. And at this point, I feel like there's enough information that, that I don't know. It, yeah. It just, it just didn't seem right. Yeah. I think that's a completely valid point. Um, and it kind of harkens back to their case with Mr. Healy where, you know, Matt's making all these unilateral decisions without realizing how it'll affect Karen or Foggy. And it's kind of the same thing here. This isn't to the benefit of Mrs. Cardenas. It's the benefit of, of the larger goal. And mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think that kind of retroactively makes me mad that they did yeah. this. Well, I it just, yeah. And, and I mean, because Miss Cardenas is not part of some larger, I mean, she just wants to stay at her home. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw what her home looked like. You know, uh, in those in those other episodes, and it just it just didn't seem it just didn't seem right. And plus, the other thing I got to this is I feel like, you know, Karen doesn't get it still, which just baffles me that they wrote her this way. You know, um, because go ahead. I was just gonna say it, it really feels like they have stalled significantly with Karen, which was it's really a bummer because they had such great momentum with her kind of resolving to take on this Union Allied case and pairing her up with Ben. And so far, it's just been a not doing too much with where she was going. Right. And well, and let me just read right here just what I wrote. You know, uh, first, I wrote all caps. They don't get it. Three exclamation points. And they meaning, you know, Foggy and Karen. Then I said, if Karen only sees Fisk as a rich person who buys what he wants, that's a huge problem because they just talked to Ben about how Fisk caused the explosions and was behind um, or the mastermind of her being framed. Now, while they didn't mention her being framed and attempted murder in that conversation, like that's clearly all tied together and they've focused in on Fisk as the mastermind. Mm-hmm. And if all she sees well, in the previous episode, you know, two guys coming in the alley, right? Um, that Foggy had to come help her. Like, and if all she still sees Fisk as is just deep pockets that buys what he wants, you know, I, I, I just don't know if Karen would actually at this point still be thinking in those terms. Yeah. You know, something I wanted to ask you, um, it it started in another scene, but I waited specifically to bring it up here because I had more examples. Um, but why do you think they made so many mentions to the fact that Matt couldn't see in this episode? I mean, we're nine episodes in. We clearly know that Matt is a blind character. Um, but first they had it with the bin and the handshake. And then 
I believe there was another one where a character shrugged and Foggy had to point it out. And then with Karen holding up a newspaper article, um, at least in Karen's case, she's close enough to him and to know his situation. And I just found it interesting that they kept repeatedly calling attention to it throughout this episode. I don't know if there's something I'm missing or if you can illuminate that. Well, yeah, and and they they bring it up again in a in a couple of um, uh, scenes. Mm-hmm. And Foggy has this line: "I hate it when you don't answer my calls." Mm-hmm. They are setting things up for I think next episode or the episode after. Okay. Like I think that will be directly paid off within the next two episodes. All right. Well, then I will put a pin on that and bring it up. Yeah. Because uh, it, it, yeah. it, it felt out of place. I know they've definitely done the whole Matt can't see thing before. It just felt like they really ramped it up in this episode. Right. And I, and I think they're, they're, they're setting something up to pay off in the next episode or two. And that makes sense because by keeping track correctly, if we're on that A-B cadence, I do believe this is a new A. So It would be. Yeah. It would be. So in this scene where they are discussing whether or not they should have counseled Miss Cardenas to take the money, they eventually get to the point where Matt realizes that he needs to investigate someone close to Fisk, specifically Vanessa. Uh, So this next scene features Matt visiting the art gallery that Vanessa works at, and he tries to get some insight onto who Fisk is through her and art. Yes. uh, I liked that the painting she first brought him to was essentially rabbit in a snowstorm, but in red. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was that world on fire when they showed what he sees. It, it's basically that on canvas. We literally have the same first note. I love it. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Move on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The audience doesn't need to know. Yeah. <laughs> we got yeah. it. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I, I I wrote that down. It's really interesting that the first piece of art they discuss is the gradients of red. Uh, I didn't quite frame it as the rabbit in a snowstorm, but with the red. But yeah, it's basically an in, not inverse, but parallel to what we learned for Fisk. And doesn't Matt call this like challenging or aggressive? Y- well, yeah. Or sounds I, aggressive or something like that? Well, he because I think like, I forgot how he eventually tries to get out of that scene, but Matt eventually goes... Uh, that he wants something a little less challenging. And, right. you know, I found it funny because I know this isn't exactly subtle, but Vanessa discusses that the red represents rage or love. And like mm-hmm. you said, it harkens back to that that time that he referred to the way he quote unquote sees as an impressionistic painting and yeah. then calling it a world on fire. The only glimpse that we saw of his world on fire was through Claire. And so, you know, in that moment, we saw the the flames, but he also saw somebody that he had strong feelings for. Um, yes. So it's just nice that they were doing that. And to have him say that, I want something a little less challenging, it's almost kind of like, a, like yeah, buddy, I'm sorry you're going through a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, other, the other thing I noted down is uh, when he walked in, um, he immediately picked up on how heavily guarded it was. Mm-hmm. Watching this scene and and tracing Matt through it, uh, it was a very uneasy scene. Like he was immediately shocked. I felt mm-hmm. uh, at the at the guards um, or or the level of security. And then you know, as he's trying to be charming and ask like, "Hey, you know, w- the man in your life, what would you know, what would he be interested in?" And her line, you know, "You should ask him yourself." Um, 
I don't think Matt was actually prepared for what he walked into. I don't think any of us were prepared. Like, this is our first meeting with Fisk and, and Matt in the same room. Like, we've had the conversation with them on the walkie-talkie, but, man, just the, kind of like what you're saying, the scene starts off with him. This is a Matt we're familiar with. He's, like, on guard, he's alerted, and he's cautious, and this is, like, a confident Matt that we know. And then he switches to the charismatic persona when he's speaking with Vanessa. But the way this, the tone just immediately becomes heavy when Fisk walks into the room, like there was so much dread. And I think Charlie Cox was doing an amazing job with that. Okay, question. When Matt leaves, he gives a reasonable excuse as to why he's leaving, Mm -hmm. right? And I know I'm skipping a little bit that we probably should talk about, but in terms of Fisk and uh, Matt's interactions, but... When he leaves, the camera lingers on Fisk. Mm-hmm. Did you get a sense that Fisk was suspicious or knew something? I was going to ask you that exact same thing because it, it was, I don't know, the way it is framed. It definitely feels like, uh, to harken back to Spider-Man Homecoming, it's that scene where um, where Toombs is at the stoplight and the moment it kind of clicks into peace form, it switches to green, mm-hmm. I believe, or mm-hmm. red. or one. Yeah, yeah. And it, it had the same vibe here with yeah. Fisk. So from red to green, yeah. Red to green. It has that same vibe here with Fisk. And it, it didn't call it out as much as it did in Homecoming. But yeah, I I, I couldn't I couldn't say for certain whether or not that's what they wanted us to, to feel. Well, I feel like that's what they wanted us to feel. I Intellectually speaking, I don't think, or I know Fisk doesn't know Matt's Daredevil. Okay. If if that makes sense. It's it's more of just like a like a huh, like like kind of entertaining the idea that it could be. Yeah, and um I, and I'm not saying that from like oh I've seen this before. It's just it just doesn't seem like that's I don't know. It just, it just seems too soon mm-hmm. for like Fisk to figure something out. So like I I never like believed that he there, but the way they shot that that sequence it just it just felt like you know, Fist picked up onto something beyond just, oh, this is just a customer. Yeah. We can revisit this idea again in a later part of the episode because I didn't I didn't put this together until just now, but Fisk does something later that I think we can discuss through this lens. Okay. Okay. But, but something I do want to say is, you know, we've mentioned it before. I think the last time we saw somebody get the drop on Daredevil was in episode five at the very end where he's just kind of like wailing on Vladimir and he has that line where this one's from Mm -hmm. Claire and then the police drop Mm -hmm. on him. It is not often that that happens. You know, is there any read where we can take that somehow Matt got caught up in his conversation with Vanessa that he didn't pick up on Fisk? Like I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this without peeking too far ahead. Cause like he got sucked in too much to his own charm. No, not to his own charm, but yeah, I mean, I guess I'm I'm using information from later part of the episode to make this thought, so it's not fair. But we we get like a a, a scene with Father Latham where we see. Remember how we were talking about like the demystifying of Fisk yeah. as not yes. this thing? Oh, oh, oh. Okay, okay. I know what you're talking about. And so yeah, I, I made the mistake. I I I guess we can also revisit this point later on in the scene as well. Okay, okay. The, I I think I know what you're referring to now. Yeah, I need to get better about like. Obviously, people have seen the episode already if they're here, but I think it'll be more fitting to bring that back up later. Mm-hmm. I think they do pay that off in a line, and I can't remember which scene it is where 
Matt says something to the effect of like, yeah, I think he actually does, you know, want to help the city or, mm-hmm. or something. I don't remember the line, but, but, and, and that way Matt gets what he wanted yeah, and, and why he went there. Okay. So I like that you said that with Matt getting what he wants, because in this next scene, we get Matt returning to the church where he discovers Father Latham in a pew. Uh, they have this conversation back and forth where they continue this discussion about Matt um, potentially doing something foolish. And the the real crux of the scene comes from Father Latham posing that question. Are you struggling with the fact you don't want to kill this man, but have to, or that you don't have to kill this man, but want to? Yeah. And I think what I find fascinating is that I feel like here they're giving you what you wanted from the stick episode, mm-hmm. right? Like, like you were, you were yeah. really disappointed. He wasn't truly put to the test on that no kill rule. Yeah. And, and I think here they're trying to do that. And, you know, it's this is almost kind of gets into that territory where I felt a little guilty critiquing an episode for something that it's not rather than what it is. Because, you know, if they're making this show, they know that this point's coming up. It would be redundant if they did it in that stick episode and then did it again here. But I think the larger point of it structurally being weird still stands. Right. It's just it makes more sense to me that they didn't focus in on it then. Right. Well, and and I mentioned earlier, the Father Latham stuff, this is the the substance, the meat of these episodes, right? The 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 philosophical questioning uh, of this episode comes through their conversations. Mm-hmm. It, it was a great question. I got a feeling like Father Latham while there was interactions that Father Latham said you're here, so that's how I know you're not going to do it or you're struggling with it right or haven't made up your mind Mm -hmm. the way father latham talks sometimes i felt like father latham was convinced matt had already made up his mind to kill him Mm -hmm. i'm looking the the specific line that he says i don't remember and i and i failed to write that one down because i wrote some other notes is it because i wrote it down i wrote down one one quote that i didn't have too much to add to it but Father Latham says there's a wide gulf between inaction and murder, Matthew. Another man's evil does not make you good. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that, that that like you said, if we're playing with this lens that Father Latham feels like Matt has already made up his mind, that line specifically is feels like a line of somebody trying to talk somebody right, down from right. that ledge, which we've already seen that once with, with Ben, uh, where you talked about like maybe he knows there's some roads you just can't come down from. So there, it's just two two mm-hmm. moments where they're trying to to really hammer this point mm-hmm. home for for Matt. Oh yeah, yeah, and and I think that's it. That's that's right there of to to point out you know such a wide range um, there. And I don't know. It's it makes our hero Matt a very flawed character, and and to see this struggle mm-hmm. right because we've already mentioned this before of that. That in previous episodes, his intention, his action, his inaction in trying to figure out this no kill code um, and and now struggling with should he or shouldn't he because um, isn't this scene where he says like I, I went, you know, to meet someone the devil knew and was mm-hmm. looking for a reason not to do it. You, you know, there, there was another place where I was like, oh, he's made up his mind. I thought it because it was there was two there was two instances of that where I think Matt says I went to learn more about the man not to harm the person he's close to but just to find out more about him and Father Latham says something I thought I wrote it down 
but it basically solidifies that 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 like because I think Father Latham says something to the extent of I believe you went there to find a reason not to to not kill him. I guess I didn't write it down. So I do want to say I I found the writing in this scene a little uh, awkward. Mm-hmm. And mainly from Father Latham, what I wrote down is Father Latham says, it's why judgment and vengeance are best left to God, especially when murder is not in your heart. And I, I don't understand that line. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that line implies that if murder is in your heart, you can be the judge mm-hmm. and go ahead and seek vengeance. And I feel like it should have been, or it would have been better if it said, uh, especially when murder is in your heart. Because uh, in that way, to say, okay, judgment and vengeance is left to God, especially when murder's in your heart, because when it's in your heart, yeah, I mean that your judgment's clearly clouded. That's an incredibly slippery slope to be both the judge and executioner, right? And 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 so I just I, I found that surprising that it was written that way, mm-hmm. and I can't imagine that if the actor messed up and accidentally said it that way, mm-hmm. that they didn't have him redo it. That's interesting. I didn't catch on that as I was watching, uh, but having you kind of walk it through that line, that 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 is a weird way to kind of frame that thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it's not exactly it, it maybe another one of the the curtains are just blue kind of situation, um, but I, I thought that this episode has been doing some good stuff with the color red. Obviously, we saw the way that Vanessa kind of plainly stated out in the scene before. But here, you know, this conversation with Father Latham, there is stained glass behind Matt that has this gradient from red to white on either side of him. Uh And in the scene, we're discussing that idea between whether or not the question, does Matt have to kill this devil but doesn't want to, or or does he want to and vice versa? I just thought it was a nice visual representation of the conflict at hand. And it's it's kind of bringing into the text something that you and I have been discussing all season about Mm -hmm. the struggle of letting the devil out or not. Right. And I mean, because like I said, I mean, the way if the camera was focused on Matt on either side of him, I believe it would the the stained glass would go from red to white and kind of that conflict. I I would assume white representing kind of like purity. Yeah. And the the red representing the rage. Yeah. So is this this is where uh, Father Latham brought up the scripture, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad that you caught the the way that the use of color there. Mm -hmm. Matt's first interpretation of that scripture was. Oh, I'm righteous. I have to do my duty, mm-hmm. you know. And then Latham corrects him with, I think, a, a better interpretation of that. Yes, you know, because I believe uh, Father Latham kind of describes, um, you know, the act of killing someone would be an act so dark that it poisons the community well, yes. which is what yes. his sacred imper- interpretation of the the. I'm losing the word. What's it called? Uh, scripture. Scripture. Thank you. Uh, where that was the second interpretation of the scripture. Um, like you said, we're coming up on a moment soon where I think it's pr- pretty clear Matt has made his decision to kill Fisk. Mm-hmm. And they play around with the color red again where it's a, a good visual representation to demonstrate that poisoning of the well. Yes, yes, very much so. So after the conversation with Father Latham, it is the next morning and we return to Nelson and Murdoch offices where Karen and Matt recount the different attempts at furthering the case. Eventually, Karen and Foggy surprise Matt with an official Nelson and Murdoch sign for their offices. But the celebratory emotions are cut short when there is a reveal that Mrs. Cardenas has been murdered. We've already mentioned here Foggy bringing up or mentioning Matt not answering his calls. Uh, But for me, the biggest takeaway was at the very end when they're at the morgue and you see Matt's 
knuckles just white from grabbing his cane mm-hmm. so tightly. You know, as as I was saying, we get this pretty clear indication that this is the moment that Matt decided to kill Fisk. And and just to call out a little thing, like I I, I guess I'm kind of just fanboying over Charlie Cox as well. But you know, there's so many times I think throughout the season where he he's very neutral in the face but the body language mm-hmm. that he displays is is great great work. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's there was a lot. I mean, we've mentioned it with you mentioned it with Cox, we talked about it earlier in this episode with um Fisk's uh performance Wesley, mm-hmm. you know, all the extra little facial tics and glances that he's done. There's just been really solid attention to detail mm-hmm. and and how they're getting um their emotions across. Yeah. Yeah. It's great body work. And even, even foggy too, like the, they're the, as they're in the morgue with Mrs. Cardinia as being identified, like the, the pain on foggy's face is just, it's, it's heartbreaking. I mean, and Karen too, you know, something I wanted to call attention to earlier, uh, but I didn't want to have the reveal of the death of Mrs. Cardinia's yet is that in one of the earlier scenes where Ben and, and foggy and Karen are discussing uh, ways to continue on with the Union Allied thread. Um, they get to this this resignation where they're like, "Oh man, it's another dead end." And right at that moment, it's unfortunately a, a very sad foreshadowing. Is Mrs. Cardenas walks in on that line? Yeah, that is. I didn't catch that foreshadowing there. That is sad. Yeah. Next scene, they put us right back in the fight the episode started with. Um, in a very, at this point, we've already mentioned is a very intense fight. Uh, Daredevil is losing. And throughout the fight, we see that, in fact, not only is he losing, I think he's being, um, at some point, he gets the that chain wrapped around him, and he just starts getting drugged across the floor by it. Um, and we see that his adversary is Nobu. The, the biggest thing that I took away from this is, what do you think the point of returning to the fight from the cold open here is for? Because I, I think it was to make it difficult for me to introduce the scene. <laughs> oh man uh when would the, was this is their five-year plan they knew, we were, <laughs> they, they knew we were gonna make a podcast <laughs> oh, well, but i mean to say that i'm with you like like yeah like how do you introduce that because i don't i don't know you know and it's so funny and corre- well, no, I can't say that because we just had the scenes with Fisk where the flashbacks were very informative of the present. But the very first time that this show in the first two episodes introduces this mechanic of flashbacks, it was always with a purpose and always with teaching us something we didn't know that influenced either the past or the present. Right. But with this, because I, I say flashback, but technically this is the present because everything that we've been discussing till now has been leading to this moment, but we're not really learning anything pertinent to these scenes. It's just weird structure. No. I mean, you could make the case that, you know, from the Fisk conversation when Fisk said, I could use help, mm-hmm. and then we see that Nobu decided to do it himself. Mm-hmm. But still, that just doesn't seem like that kind of reveal is something that you need to structure the whole episode around. Yeah. You know, and we have mentioned their use of flashbacks while done very well at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, also hasn't been very well done. Uh, 
the the jamming of the gun flashback. Yeah. Well, I think that's what I, I was gonna try and poke at, but then I remember we had the Fisk one. But you're right. I, I it's we praised it so well coming out the gate, and I, I think the 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 read to take away from this is they've been very inconsistent with it. Yes. You know, nine episodes yeah. in. Right. And I and I think that's very fair. Um. God, I feel like I, I've been doing this in the last couple episodes, but I, I do want to highlight this so we can discuss it later. But you you mentioned the reveal here is that Nobu decides to do this himself after mm-hmm. Fisk after yeah. Fisk asks for help. Again, we'll discuss this later, but like in that scene where Fisk asks for help, do you think Nobu always knew he was going to be the one to go do this? Or do you think he was kind of entertaining the idea of sending someone else? Because um, if if I'm not mistaken, Nobu has a line of like, I know of someone with, uh, you know, a, the special set of skills. Right. Or the, uh, so I I think Nobu, um, always had in mind that it was going to be him. Okay. All right, and like I said, we can jump into that a little bit more once we get to kind of like the ultimate end game of this episode. Yeah. Okay. So after the the continuation of the fight from the cold open, we do jump back before the fight where Foggy, Karen, and Matt are commiserating at Josie's bar. Matt begins to detail his suspicion that Mrs. Cardenia's murder is no coincidence revolving the Tennessee case, uh, right as a news report breaks through their conversation where Fisk uses the death to further his PR. Right. Here is where I was teasing earlier, where Matt, in that interaction with Fisk, kind of learning what Fisk wants for the city, comes into play again. Karen says something effective like, I think he actually believes what he's saying. And Matt says, yes, he does. Well, not like that, but something to the effect that, you know, letting them know that, yeah, Fish really does believe he's doing what's best for the city. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've done kind of like what you said, like in, in contrast to the dark Knight. not that, that it's in a negative way, the dark Knight had its purpose for making the Joker an absolute. And here they've made Fisk, so much more multi-dimensional that it's not just an easy like yes do away with this guy he's pure evil there's more to him than just that and he truly does want what's best for the city regardless of the fact that the way he's going about it is clearly wrong okay it's starting to feel like that fisk we keep we keep going back to nolan's dark knight and and there's a lot of similarities but it's starting to feel like fisk is more along the lines of killmonger okay but the motivation for Matt doing what he does is not as good or on par with Black Panther mm-hmm. or T'Challa, if, if that makes not sense. Not that, like, I'm trying to, so let, I want to kind of walk through this. So, obviously, Killmonger's plan was that it wasn't right of Wakanda to stay within themselves when they had the power to help people. And then, in contrast, T'Challa's reasoning was that they must protect their people, so that's why they remained isolated. Isolationist, yeah. yeah. And so... And then T'Challa transforms and learns and says, no, we do need to branch out and help people, but the way Killmonger's going about it is not right. Mm-hmm. And that becomes the problem. Right. And so I feel like Fisk is more, he just doesn't feel like what this episode set up at the beginning, the mm-hmm. devil to me. Right. Like he wants what's best for the city and 
he's not going about it in a good way. But Matt's way isn't exactly right. Isn't exactly the best way. Okay. Either. No, I see what you're saying. It's almost it, like it's almost like ahead. it's almost like that situation where you call out a problem but you have no answer. Right. And so Matt doesn't have an answer, right. but he's calling out the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I see what you're saying now. Good. I'm glad you did. <laughs> I I feel like I kind of got what you meant eventually. I just felt like I needed to kind of walk through it for a bit. So, but yeah. No, 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 no. no. And, well, in, in fairness, it, like that, it's not a note I had. It just kind of popped in my head because mm-hmm. we keep mentioning the Joker and we keep mentioning uh, Nolan. I don't know if that was, that was a, a fair one-to-one comparison. If that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, Fisk is more like Killmonger than the Joker, Mm -hmm. but Matt sees Fisk more like the Joker. If that makes sense. It's almost like he wants him to be Joker like, because it would be such an easier decision for him to make. Like, Oh yeah. 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 I think, I think that's the great way to put it. And so, and like, and just to kind of like continue down that line where Fisk doesn't, where you said Fisk doesn't seem like the devil. Whereas, because obviously Fisk has done terrible things, you know, orchestrating the murder of Mrs. Cardenas, the bombings, and everything that he's done so far. But it's not like how am I trying to word this? Like I don't want to come across like I'm defending Fisk, but it's like like we said, he's so much more multidimensional. Like he has um, good intentions, um, is what I'm getting at. Basically, the Joker just wants to watch the world burn, mm-hmm. and Killmonger didn't. And Matt sees Fisk as someone who just wants to watch the world burn. But that's not, you know, or that's how Matt saw him in the beginning, at least. And and, and I think he's starting to learn that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've been kind of tracking the way that they've been playing with the color red throughout this episode. And they're doing it again here in this bar scene where they're having the commiseration. Um we we know what's on Matt's mind because uh, we've seen this conversation that he's been having with Father Latham and this continuous conversation about whether or not it's within him to kill. And throughout this scene, there's this red glow that's casted on the back of him as though, you know, this is something that's on the back of his mind. But Father Latham specifically called out, you know, that murder would be an act so dark that it poisons the community well and I liked what they're doing here visually because if you pay attention to Karen and Foggy's face, there are tinges of red kind of like constantly being brought up mm-hmm. their face. And, and just to kind of hammer it home, you know, Karen has a line about hoping the black mask gets his hands on Fisk. And it just shows how much Karen and Foggy are giving up hope on doing things legally. Yeah, it, it was one of those things where I felt like everything was moving up to this moment, mm-hmm. right? Is he going to make, and, and as you mentioned, the moment he made his decision with Miss Cardenas in the morgue, and then here, especially with with that build up with Karen mm-hmm. uh, and her lines, like it just cemented it. And, and you know, and kind of Karen with the lines, I guess. I think she even specifically stops Matt, where she's like, she asks him, "Do you believe in God?" And she has a line. I think I wrote it down. If you believe there's a God, you have to believe that Fisk gets what he deserves, and. Right as Matt's leaving, he kind of says, I do. And as he walks away, he's finally consumed in the full red lights. Um, yeah. And, and I don't know. I just thought it was great to kind of have Karen throw that line, hearkening back to what Father Latham said about uh, 
judgment and vengeance being left up to God, it looks like Matt feels differently here with yeah. the way the scene is framed. Well, no, 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 no. And, and what just popped into my head is like, I mentioned how Matt's interpretation was, I'd say the less charitable, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, I, it's my duty to go stop the devil. And, and then Father Latham has that course correction. But in this sense, I feel like with what you have built up through Miss Cardenas and what Karen was saying, Matt, I feel like Matt has misconstrued Father Latham's interpretation because mm-hmm. now it's like Father Latham's trying to say, no, 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 you shouldn't go kill Fisk because when the righteous fall, it hurts the entire community. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Matt's starting to take that and say, okay, Fisk is killed and that hurts the entire community. Mm-hmm. You know, and so like he, I think he, it almost feels like the way the way you framed it that that mm-hmm. he is, you know, taking Father Latham's advice and, yeah. and still interpreting it to serve his own ends. Sorry, no, you, I, you've kind of reframed it for me by saying that Fisk killing is the one who poisoned the community. Well, uh, I'm just kind of playing through that. I like that. I don't know. That would like that's a good lens to to kind of view this moment through too. Because I was I was obviously reading it from the if if Matt kills it it poisons with well his see own and I, and I think that's where where going that way Matt's still serving his own ends and not interpreting it correctly mm-hmm. at least according to Father Latham mm-hmm. right because because it, it's when the righteous falls it poisons the whole well and we wouldn't see Fisk as righteous right falling mm-hmm. but. Matt's going to look at it that way because it serves his own end. Okay. So after that scene where Matt walks away, uh, having been consumed in the red lighting, he returns home uh, and begins suiting up for the confrontation with Nobu. Uh, And after kind of pausing to have a bit of reflection, he dons the suit and sets out into a long night of fighting to gather information about who killed Mrs. Cardenas. What? I had some conflict with how they how they did this. Um, mm-hmm. How so? Well, okay, and here's just my first couple of notes. Matt beat someone, then another, then another, and finally we get Daredevil asking a question. So the way it started out, it felt like that he was just beating people to beat people to get frustration out. Mm-hmm. You know, and... And so eventually we got, oh, he's asking questions, but you don't get that right away. And it just feels like, okay, yes, he's probably going to beat up bad guys or whatever, right? But it, it feels like he's just going out and being vengeance and taking out his aggression mm-hmm. on on people and just justifying it because they're not doing good things, so to right. speak. Um, and, and that's just the way it felt to me at that moment. Um so yeah, I I did not pick up on that, but I I kind of get what you mean the way that they they frame that out. You you know you almost don't know what he's doing, but to kind of play along those lines, um, you know, one of the thing that I wrote down is if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time that we've seen Matt gear up from scratch. Like we've never seen him where he stores his his suit and his his sticks, and so to have him have that moment of reflection. And it's all silent. Matt's not saying anything, but we're seeing him hesitate putting on the suits. Um, you know, we know what's on his mind, but watching him carrying on through these actions adds to that level of he knows what he's doing. There's no excuses. So to pair that Oh, yeah, that's with, a good way to put it. 
so to pair that with what you're saying about like we don't get the question to the end i can get that feel where it's like he's out there no excuses he's out there just taking out his frustrations and so yeah, yeah. i I, could, I didn't get that at first but i could see how that would would kind of like 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 whoa matt what are you doing yeah okay side note because it, it feels like a very serious subject but um but just a quick side note i feel like his suit is a little bit more complicated than iron man's to put on over the years <laughs> I mean, starting at Avengers, once it just kind of forms around him and just goes on so easily, like he actually uh-huh. has to suit up. Yeah. No, I'm not going to, I misinterpreted what you said that you were going to have a side note for something even more heavier. No, I mean, we I mean, this, <laughs> no, I mean, like, I was, like this is a heavy subject, but this is, but, but you know, we're, we're stepping aside yeah, that. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, well, I guess when you're as rich as Tony, you can uh, continuously automate that system. <laughs> I mean, you know, we talked about it, how how secret identities have always been like part of the lore of superheroes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like another one of those is where the superhero always has to to like run off to get dressed up. So yeah. <laughs> Matt's just keeping it old school. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I and... Again, I even wrote this down specifically. I was trying to dance around it, but I feel like all my notes moving forward aren't too significant. It's just like commenting on what they're clearly doing. I I just wanted to point out, man, when he gets to that final junkie, the way that he just like throws him across the room and he lands in those bottles and the glass shards get like embedded in his hands. I, I don't know what it was. Maybe there's like a disconnect whenever you see like something like Healy impaling himself. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's it's moving and off-putting, but at the end of the day, you know it's a TV show. Yeah. There's something that felt so much more real about the glass being embedded in that junkie's yeah. hands that just hurt me. Yeah. Well, you know what? I find it interesting. I just had a hard time in this sequence because of the way it started and how I felt about it. Like, like being like, yeah, you go get him, Daredevil. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, yes, well, he, he got the address from Miss Cardenas, right? But the junkie gave up the address it, it wasn't going to take much to give the to have the junkie give up the address right right like, like he beat him he gave up the address to stop the beating makes complete sense mm-hmm. but then you know when he says hey go turn yourself into sergeant mahoney or whatever and then he gives him what i assume is a knockout blow because he hits him one more time and i wrote down does daredevil really expect a junkie to remember that after he gets knocked out Especially when the junkie was already calling into question whether or not he was real. Because at first he right. thought he was just a hallucination. Right. He wasn't even sure if the guy was real there. And then if you knock him out and he's already all drugged up. You know, I, I, I don't. Oh. I, it just, it just, I just don't see it. So I, like I said, I didn't pick up on that read of like, oh, here goes Matt. Clearly he's investigating because the way they framed it, he's just beating up on people. And I think you kind of like, even if I didn't articulate it in my thoughts or my notes, I think what I was feeling in that moment is not, not that I'm saying you said this, that that's how I was reading it, but like, it wasn't ever a feeling of like, you go daredevil, go beat up these people and and fix this wrong. It was more like watching someone out of control and there was fear for what he was doing. And so. Yes. He definitely let the devil out. The devil, yeah, the devil is completely out, uh, which harkens back to that. There's no excuses for his behavior, but 
I think another thing that I was feeling in the scene and, you know, it, it kind of like what you brought up with, with Claire about the women in fridge um, trope, that's kind of like what it felt like here with Mrs. Cardenas. And I think that was another thing that I was kind of distracted by in this particular scene as well, because everything was kind of motivated by that one, you know, murder of Mrs. Cardenas. Well, I mean, whether we liked it or not, uh, the beatings paid off. He got the address. Uh, <laughs> next scene, Daredevil arrives and then proceeds to get his ass kicked. Man, again, I I find the structure of this fight so weird. I, I I'm not sure why they would do it the way they did. Um, well, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this. I save this note. This note is from the opening scene, mm-hmm. and it said basically they're gonna revisit this later in another scene. But this fight was very anticlimactic, you know, because I he shows up and the fight's just now about to begin. But I've already seen twice that he gets beat. Yeah. So there was in and by who? So there was no mystery involved. Yeah. In in what was about to happen. The only thing that I could say, and I'm still not ready to reveal it yet, my main question when we get to the end, is if we're if if I'm following along this lines of this episode is educating us, if I'm not mistaken, I do believe in this scene Matt throws one of those sticks and mm-hmm. again, and it deflects, mm-hmm. and this time there's sparks off the lights that it hits. Yeah. But so, see, I not yet. Well, no, that's well, a they, later scene. Yeah. No, no, no. Well, it happens twice. Because there's the one, the big moment, and then it happened again before. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I could. I'm. I'm like eighty no, 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 percent no, no, no. sure it does. Well, the th- not the sparks, but the throwing the, but the throwing the the stick. Okay. I might. I have to go do another rewatch. Um, well, <laughs> well, well, let's revisit this again. God, I like I said, I feel like I'm doing this a lot more, but. Because I, I, I feel like I remember it because they did it three times specifically. The first time, the second time it sparks, and yeah. then we'll yeah. see it again. Okay. I, it, it won't be hard to go, to go double check that. I'll, I'll go double check those, um, those fight scenes again. Okay. Because I, I know what you're talking about, him throwing the stick, mm-hmm. right? It, I need to figure out what the real name is because every time I say stick, I think of the guy now. Uh, <laughs> so. I, honestly, I, is, it, is it devil stick? No. No, I'll, I'll have to look it up. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I'll have to look that up before next, before the okay. next, uh, yep. next time we record. I mean, it doesn't help that stick is literally the person who gave them the sticks. Right. So right. It's very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, after the return to the scene with Nobu and Matt, we return back to Josie's bar where Foggy and Karen are clearly drunk. Uh, Foggy begins to open up about feeling responsible for Mrs. Cardenia's death since he was the one who insisted she shouldn't take the money. Yes. Um, clearly, you know, he feels guilty. He mentions that, Hey, it's my fault. Um, I, I mean, actually how I read this, one of the scenes earlier in the episode, part of me is like, yeah, <laughs> oh, man. I mean, yeah. Well, you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I feel like if we go back and re-listen to our podcast, there is this slow 
turning of you against Foggy? Because I remember you starting off talking about how much you love Foggy, and then we've just slowly started backtracking on him. <laughs> I think a couple episodes ago, episodes ago, you were saying you were happy he got hurt. <laughs> yeah, but that was different. That was different. I was happy he got hurt because he went rushing in to help. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that that was different. Uh, but yeah, and then you have this sense of hopelessness, right? Um, and then yeah. Karen, um, you know, to kind of is like, what was it? Foggy was like, what do you do? How do you fight somebody that has everything? And Karen's line, well, you make them pay. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, like I get it. And yeah, you make them pay and you, and you try to do that. But I'll, how about I put it this way? I do feel like at least from their, from Foggy's point of view, um, they do a good job of putting his character in a position where, yeah, it does feel hopeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talked a little bit about it earlier, uh, and this is exactly what I was kind of referring to. You know, we get to this point where Foggy reveals how much responsibility he's placing on himself for this death, and you brought up Matt should have stood up a little bit more in the initial meeting with Mrs. Cardenas, and then I forgot to mention it when Matt's still at the bar, but he kind of starts to lay out his suspicions of like, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, she's refusing the offer from Fisk and then here she goes and is wound up dead. Yeah. And and it it's, you know, we, the audience, have picked up on that's the case. But the way that Matt is divulging that information to Karen and Foggy, it almost feels like he's holding it over Foggy's head. And it, yeah, I, I, I don't think I saw that thought that the first time but now you lay it out that way it does kind of have that i told you so kind of feel which is so funny because i didn't really start to piece that together until you brought up how matt should have spoke up so that's why i got retroactively mad is that he shouldn't have the right to throw that in foggy's face if he didn't even begin to stick up for his side of the argument in the beginning right oh yeah you're 100 percent correct on that and which is so funny because that has done more to service this coming Nelson versus Murdoch fight than any of the things they've been doing with Foggy having a grudge against the Black Mask. Yeah. 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 Well, and because they could have easily added to that mm-hmm. with, okay, so let's rewrite their script for a second. They could have had Foggy shoot back at him something along the lines of, well, you didn't speak up or you didn't advise her any different. Mm-hmm. And that would have like helped fuel Matt's anger and I don't want to say justifies, but explains that what what feels like the letting the devil out in indiscriminate beatings. Yeah. And that would have been, and again, as we're rewriting the script, that would have even called back. Wasn't it Matt who's the one that originally volunteers Foggy to get involved in this case? Yeah. That would have even furthered this infighting between them even more. Right. And then you could have showed, I mean, he was at a bar drinking and you could have maybe somehow visually emphasized he had a few drinks mm-hmm. um and that would help with him getting getting beat by nobu yeah i mean because let's that i mean don't fight and drink like what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> oh man even though that's usually what uh, emboldens people to fight after a few <laughs> <Right>. drinks <laughs> oh man so after that scene with Foggy and Karen at the bar, uh, we jump back again to the fight with Nobu and Matt, where eventually the fighting leads to Nobu being burned to death. Uh, Fisk arrives and thanks Matt for killing Nobu, and we get this finally, for the first time, confrontation between Daredevil and Fisk. 
Okay, so my guess was at this point mm-hmm. is that to, to structure the episode this way, it helped break up the fight um, to make it seem longer, and you get Daredevil in a position that Fish shows up and he is wounded, mm-hmm. right? So, like, if they would have just put it all as just one sequence, I don't know how impactful the Fisk arrival would be at, mm-hmm. at that moment. Uh, so, so that might that that might have been why to kind of help with that uh, part of the scene. Mm-hmm. To do that, you had to sacrifice an entire episode structure. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a good point um, about how they needed to have Matt kind of wounded for this. I just, I mean, just repeating what you said that they should have had a better way to do it because they, even if they wanted to have this where cold open. Here's this fight. Oh, no, this is the moment we're working towards where Matt is going to have this confrontation with somebody he's clearly getting his ass kicked with. I don't think you need to return to it in the middle. You can just have these series of consequences and choices that is putting Matt in a position where we know he's making the fight worse for him. But since we see the slow buildup to that fight and we, we we see that towards the end of the fight, then just towards the middle of the fight, then the beginning of the fight, and then now here again at the end of the fight. And if they would have just like not gone back to it so much, it could have been a little bit better, I guess, and still had that putting him in a weakened position yeah. for Fisk. Well, I mean, and you could have put, the, I guess, the Nobu reveal at the end, you know, mm-hmm. and just that middle cutaway. I mean, because that middle cutaway, we said, really only gave us the Nobu reveal. Unless, and this is what I've been kind of alluding to all episode, so we kind of, we basically all but said it. The way Nobu gets burned is during the fight, Nobu's weapon punctures a barrel of gasoline and Matt throws one of the sticks that stick gave him and Nobu deflects it up into the light and it sparks and causes a fire and right. kills Nobu. My question for you is with all of Matt's powers, I can't imagine he didn't know that this was a factor. Is this death on Matt? Because if, if, unless I'm wrong, I believe we see this this hitting of the light three times. Once where Nobu deflects the mm-hmm. stick and it hits the light, we see it again mm-hmm. where it causes sparks, and then the third time the sparks right. happen again, but it causes the fire. Did Matt know that this was going to happen? I read the scene as yes, he did, mm-hmm. and I honestly, I'm I'm okay with it. I don't know how much I would say that this would violate the no kill code. Really? Yeah. And and only, I mean, if I'm taking it like just pure logic and thinking things through when you start thinking about self-defense, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know in self-defense wise if there's a way out of it. Yeah. Otherwise. Hmm. I mean, does that, does that make sense? No, that makes complete sense. Um, I guess it's for, just... For, for as badly beat as he was, and we saw him get drug across the floor, you know? So, I mean, he severely beat this time and what i'm trying i guess the reason i was and pausing matched very much so like I, i'm 100 with you it is self-defense but something i guess i'm wrestling with i don't think we've ever seen or at least i haven't seen a superhero with a no death kill successfully be pushed to a situation where he had to kill because i mean that's always been batman's superpowers like no matter right. how hard the circumstances are he gets out of it without without having to kill uh, i'm sure there are alternate comics that deal with that but for the most part, that's the case. And so it's interesting to have it, have Matt have this no death kill, but get to a point where it's semi-justified because it was self-defense. 
Right. I mean, in that situation, man, I don't know. They they wrote their story in such a way that I don't know if there's a way out if he doesn't do something like that. But Nobu does give Matt the option because he says, I show you respect. Uh, I can't remember what he says, but essentially when Matt pulls out his sticks, Nobu's like, you best not use those because I've showed you respect. You don't want to see what's coming next, which I'm assuming he's alluding to his blades. So yeah, but the also between that you get the line from Nobu when he reveals himself, where he says, uh-huh. "Um, it will you know you've been a worthy opponent. It'll be an honor to kill you." Mm-hmm. Like Nobu has stated his intentions of, "I am fighting to the death. I will kill you." Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, honestly, in fact, the way one of the other I never wrote this down, but one of the thoughts that went through my mind was, you know, Nobu, you're dumb like you had plenty of chances to kill him like and you just didn't <laughs> like it never should have got to that point you you know oh man like like we we've it, basically become armchair quarterbacks for superheroes <laughs> <laughs> well i mean when you get to the point where you're dragging him across with that blade right yeah. on the floor you have uh, I'm sorry, Daredevil was in a position where Nobu could have killed him anytime he wanted. That's very true. Yeah. You know, and and was stating that intention of, yeah, I'm honored to be the one that gets to put you in the ground. I I feel like that we gotta give him a pass on this one. Okay. Hey, we said we were gonna give Matt a grade on his no death rule, so this this is a pass. Um but no, something else I wanted to bring up because we we talked it's about it's an excused absence. <laughs> uh, one of the things we talked about was the interaction with Nobu and Fisk, where where we wondered did did Nobu know he was always going to be the one to confront Matt because Fisk said, "Hopefully, you can send someone to take care of this." And at the the culmination of this scene where Nobu dies. And Fisk comes in is like, thank you for that. Nobu has been becoming a problem. Was like, I guess Fisk was in on it too, knowing that he was betting Nobu would be the one to don the red suit and take on Daredevil. Well, yeah, I mean, because he even said to something to, to Daredevil about, I didn't think it would take that long. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that was, I think that was intentionally planned on Fisk's part. Mm-hmm. Man, another note that I had on on Fisk. Because you brought it up before, obviously you you've seen me play Spider-Man, the video game, that, that and how imposing of a figure Fisk is in both the game and this. The way that Fisk attacks Matt in this scene felt straight out of the video game. Mm-hmm. Like the way he was just throwing his arms around, it felt superhuman. Yeah, well, he is in the even in the comic, you know, well trained and well. And one of the things I think in his backstory from the comic was not wanting to be bullied again. Mm-hmm. Okay, so his relationship with his dad in the comic book. His dad was basically Rigoletto, right? He was the mob guy. And, or, you know, at some level, it was known that he worked in that kind of work and he wanted to participate with his dad. In mm-hmm. one job trying to get away, um, his dad left him. And... Fisk went to prison. And so Fisk studied and bulked up and learned to fight and all that and came out and then used 
everything he learned to become kingpin. Uh, and then later his dad came to him, you know, oh, I'm so proud of you, son, or or whatever. And in that effort of trying to erase his past, he killed his dad. Hmm. And basically citing that le- that the lesson he learned from his dad when he got left was sometimes you have to make hard sacrifices, you know, to survive. I got to kill you off to erase my, to help erase my past. And mm-hmm. that's just, just one of those hard sacrifices that you taught me. Yeah. So now all that to say that, yeah, like he is... I mean, he is a formidable fighter. Mm-hmm. Kind of in the same vein, though, I, 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 I do want to have another question. You know, right before they they get to the point where they start exchanging blows, Fisk kind of has the line because I think I think Matt says, "I'm going to kill you," and Fisk like waves off his guards and he's like, "Take your shot." Does that feel kind of out of character to you? Because we've seen Fisk lose his temper and resort to fighting. But I don't think we've, at least in my recollection, I don't think we've seen him in this macho style, like, come at me, bro, before. And that's kind of like what I read from the take your shot. You know what? We haven't seen him do that before, Mm -hmm. but I feel like that is completely in line. Like, I don't dislike it. Right. But like, he just sat there and watched Daredevil get beat up by Nobu and be severely wounded. Like, he's in a position where he knows he has the upper hand so why not it's it's that thanos moment with the hulk where they're like let him have his fun yeah you know and 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 that's kind of how i saw that there well something i wanted to bring up because we seeded this with uh the conversation with vanessa and the way the scene kind of ends with fisk questioning Mm -hmm. the way Mm -hmm. matt leaves do you think it was personal for fisk and that's why he was kind of having this macho like take your shot because Matt got that close to someone personal in his life. Maybe. Um, the only thing that I would have pause on that idea is that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that Fisk knew Matt was Daredevil. Okay. Well, while, while it was, while it had that feeling like, like he was suspicious of something, mm-hmm. I don't think he made the connection. Okay. So after the confrontation with Fisk, Matt eventually does escape by launching himself out the window and he's severely wounded. Foggy arrives at Matt's apartment, clearly distraught, and when he hears a loud noise coming from inside Matt's apartment, he enters through the roof access and eventually discovers that the man in the black mask is none other than Matt. I feel like that was a really good way to end this episode. We've mentioned um, and kind of kept track of that uh, butting heads almost, or it felt like, um, and even mentioned how they could have strengthened that and even put them even a little bit more at odds um, throughout this episode to end on Foggy stumbling onto Matt as... Daredevil, the man in the mask. Mm -hmm. You know, something I thought that was pretty interesting as a peek into Foggy's character, you know, when he when he watches the man in the black mask collapse in front of him and sees the wounds that he has through the the, the moonlight, you know, he reaches for his phone and immediately starts to call 911, but he pauses and hangs up. And at this point, he doesn't know that it's Matt. And it's almost like, was Foggy willing to let the man in the black mask, like, because, I mean, he hangs up on 911. Was he willing to let him just kind of die? See, I don't know. I don't know if I read it that way. I felt like the reason why he hung up is that big light outside of Matt's window kind of shed light on his face and he got a better look at Matt's face. That's what I thought happened. But then on to follow that reasoning, which is what kind of led me to this point, is because I initially read it like you did, but why? If he really believes that's Matt, why would he hang up on nine one one if he sees his friend clearly 
in a lot of pain and danger. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I don't know. I just thought it was interesting to point out. I didn't really have an answer, and and it seems like we both were kind of a little, you know, left wondering. Now, the the last note I had about this scene was, and, it, and it's in the form of a question, and um, given what we just talked about with the fight between Daredevil and Nobu, Daredevil and Fisk, and kind of Fisk, come at me bro moment, and then now Foggy learning, you know, Matt's secret, um, are we at basically that step five, six of that story circle? Because I know we brought up the story circle a couple of times before. Step five being, if I remember correctly, like the return journey having changed. Uh, no. Um, I think five six is that is. Oh no, I wish I wrote it down. I don't know what the, what I was thinking there. I didn't. Uh, but basically the low the the, the point with the low the low point mm-hmm. where the heroes put to this test and fails. Mm-hmm. They figure out what they need to do, um, but then like fail at doing it, or something prevents them from fulfilling that need that they have. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, if we look at it this way, because I think it's the they get what they want, but they pay a price for yes. it. The price being them failing. So, what Matt thought he wanted is this confrontation with Fisk. He got it, but paid the price, obviously, of coming near death. So yeah, I would say we're kind of at that the lowest yeah. point, uh, even if it's not reflective of because we only got what four more episodes left. Uh, yeah, that's right. Even if it's not reflective numerically, I think overall the story. Yeah, I think we're at that bottom of the circle for sure. Okay. Okay. You know, I'm just I've been mentally kind of thinking about that since we brought that up uh, mm-hmm. a few episodes ago. Yeah, and it's it's like it's it's always harder. Because that story circle, at least the way that I read it, was always through, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not isolated, but like one-off stories. Not necessarily one-off, but uh-huh. in that vein of like movies. Like that's how you would track through movies. And right. it's a lot harder to do it when there's multiple episodes of right. a season-long arc. But yeah, I, I think you're spot on with it being the lowest point. Okay. I think that's going to do it for this episode. Do you have any overall thoughts to kind of wrap this up? You know, the my last, I guess, overall thought is, uh, yes, this is clearly the A episode yeah. of an A.B. Cadence. And, you know, to play off that, like, I think I've kind of expressed my disinterest in a lot of the recent A episodes we've been getting. I think I like this A mm-hmm. a little bit more than I have some of the others. Um, okay. I, overall, I was very put off by the structure that they did, and we've definitely discussed, but I I I really liked, even if the way it was worded, because I didn't pick up on it on my watch, but hearing you walk through it, yeah, the the, the writing for some of Father Latham's uh, scenes was off, but I like the overall idea of it because it felt, like you said, I was getting what I wanted from that stick episode. Right. The Father Latham-Matt interaction was definitely that, that the substance, the meat mm-hmm. of the, that episode. And as far as the AB cadence goes, I I'd have to agree that this is a better A than mm-hmm. some of the others that we've seen. And I think a lot of it has to do is, I mean, we, we got to watch these characters make choices. Yes. Um, yes. The biggest one being Matt, res- Matt resolving to kill. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, of course, we do have our question of the week. So without further ado, Jude, what would you say is your most quoted line or phrase from the MCU? Um, I'd have to say that that's changed over time. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I'd have to go with would have to be, I am Groot. Really? I really think that that's the one 
It's the most quoted or quotable line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could do this all day comes to mind. Yep. Because of in game, whatever it takes comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, for some reason, I just mentally kept going back to the, because, I mean, just like Groot, that's the three words he says for everything. You could say I am Groot and get your meaning across. <laughs> it's very universal. You know, it, it, yeah, and and so and that that's uh, feels cliche, but that's that's the one that that I really kept circling back to. Mm-hmm. For me, and I'm sure you saw it a mile away. Uh, for being such a Captain America fanboy, I can do this all day is definitely my most quoted one, just because like it it feels like such the embodiment of why I love Captain America so much. Because okay, it, look, it's a. It's on your water bottle now. It's on my water bottle now. I'll have to link pictures to it. <laughs> so as a tangent, uh, I've been trying to drink more water. So I bought like one of those big 40 ounce, uh, like always cool water bottles. And my mom has one of those like cricket vinyl cutters. And she she cut out a Captain America shield on one side. And then on the other side, she put, I can drink this all day. <laughs> it looks fantastic. It looks fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah. But I mean, it is is the perfect summation of why Captain America is so important to me because it's he's never he's never going to be the strongest, fastest, or smartest. But it's that rev- yeah. resolution to not give up, and that I can do right. this all day. Right. It just it's the perfect embodiment of it, and I love that line so yeah. much. Yeah, the the next one um, that I have to mention, mm-hmm. uh, language. Uh, <laughs> You know, and, and that was so odd because I remember, and I, I just remember that, and I just thought it was a weird beginning to the movie, and I'm going to stop there and I'll leave it for another episode, uh, but it stuck. Like, I, saying language, you know, is, I can't say that now without thinking of that scene. You know, it's so funny, I, I have uh, a younger cousin who, like, you know how sometimes you just have cousins that you just perpetually in your head view them as a certain age even though they've grown up gone on to grow up to be adults like yes (laughs) (laughs) is it me (laughs) no i would i would say that uh there's there's a number of them Mm -hmm. and there's two on my dad's side that i'm actually thinking of Uh um but yeah For, for me i i have a cousin who like i perpetually view him as eight years old and I mean, he is 20 now. And so I remember him and I were uh-huh. texting back and forth and he cussed for the first time. And I just remember thinking like I was cut off guard by it because I know, obviously, I mean, what kid doesn't cuss? But like the fact that he was comfortable doing it in front of me and I actually got to use that language and it just felt really <laughs> good. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. But um, my second one is a very special case scenario because as I mentioned before, like I I used to stream regularly on Twitch and Mixer. And one of the things that I would quote all the time whenever I would play a game where you're like beating up on bad guys is Uh the go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, which is what Stark says to Hulk and Age of Ultron. There's just something about that 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 just stuck with me for so long. Yeah, no, that's a good one. That's a really good one. (laughs) Go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. (laughs) Oh, man. And finally, uh, my last one uh, is in Thor, whenever he is having a drink, and he's like, oh, I like this, another, and he smashes it to the ground. Oh, yeah, and he smashes <laughs> it to the ground, yes, yes. Oh, man. 
Yeah. That's a fun one to. See, I, I want to do that someday. Yeah. I just, I just want to be another and just, you know, uh, not with any of my mugs. I got to be somewhere else. I don't, (laughs) I don't know what milestone we could hit, but I'm going to put this out there now. If there's a certain milestone that we cross, we should film us doing that. Uh, Yes. Okay. We're in. So I'm in. We'll figure that out. If you, if you're on social media or anywhere or discord or wherever, help us come up with what that milestone could be. And we'll, the next time we're together, we'll film ourselves doing that. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, in. And just a quick side note, you mentioned that I, I'm, I've been enjoying doing this and, and I think we're going to have to do one where we're in the same place. Yes. Yes. I'm, or, or at least a watch together. That would be really fun. Usually around the holidays, I think that's our best chance. We'll have to figure out a way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Get, get rid of COVID somehow and make traveling easier. Yeah. If only we had the infinity stones and we could just snap it away. <laughs> no kidding. Oh, man. That started out as a joke, and then I got really sad because, like, I I so often like liken the feeling of everything with the the COVID to like the snap, except uh-huh. we just don't have infinity stones in real life. <laughs> oh. Nice if we could. Yeah. Now that I've ended it on that downer, if you have any thoughts on season one, episode nine. <laughs> Or if you'd like to chime in with our question of the week, you can always reach us on social media at MCU Need to Know, both on Twitter and Instagram. Or if you'd like to write us an email, MCU Need to Know at gmail.com is where you can reach us. Right. And we'd appreciate the help by sharing with a friend, uh, giving us a rating on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And I'd also like to give a special thanks to Nick Sandy for the performance of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Nick. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. I thought this was a good way to end this episode off of everything they've been kind of building and mm-hmm. and even the stuff that they didn't do that we said, oh, they should have done this. Between Moggy, between Moggy, <laughs> we got Wesley and Moggy. <laughs> okay, sorry. Okay, I'm gonna try that again. <laughs> Moggy.